for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. We got a little ahead of ourselves by a year <laughs> in our pre, pre-pod conversation. Right. The pre-pod convo. Right. Getting ready for that apologetics year coming mm-hmm. up in 2023. Yeah, it's good. I'm excited for which it. Which is three weeks away as of the recording of this. Two weeks away as of the dropping of this. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. You know what else is crazy? What happened to this year? Yeah. Today, Mm. we're going to talk about things that are still going on. Yeah. Yeah. And things that we're, at least I I could probably confess that I've been and might still kind of be directly involved in. Kind of. Yeah. And, And not in sort of like a grand umbrella like Baptist. No, like, yeah. There's that. Yeah, I guess there's that, right? No, no, no. This is yeah, in in a more uh, niche kind of way. Yeah. So a year ago, we're talking the apostolic church. Mm-hmm. This is journalism now, buddy. Yeah, pretty much. It's hardly even church history. It's church <laughs> journalism. But let's let's uh, let's give some people some context here. Just <laughs> we're gonna do historical context. Well, we're gonna do some. We're gonna do some things. Okay, so 1995 eBay, the online auction website, is founded, and it's still going strong. I just saw an eBay commercial on TV the other day. Um, in 1997, the first Harry Potter book, The Philosopher's Stone, is published, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, 1999, the euro goes into circulation, and 11 countries are using it. I don't know how many are using it now, but it's definitely a lot more than 11. Uh, oh, here's an interesting one. In the year 2000, the final Peanuts cartoon, like Charlie Brown, mm-hmm. final uh, Peanuts cartoon is published the day after Charles Schultz died. He first began circulating that comic 50 years before. So I remember It, it went that. from 1950 to 2000. Like, talk about a comic strip that defines, you know, half of a century, mm-hmm. right? Um Charlie Brown Christmas is probably my favorite Christmas movie. Oh, yeah? I'm not a big... Well, we've had this chat before. I'm not a big Christmas person, but there are certain things that I have to do at Christmas time, and I'm leaving them to the end So when I actually get into Christmas mood. Um, Charlie Brown's Christmas, uh, The Muppets Christmas Carol also. I don't yeah. know why. I just love it. It was childhood memories, I guess. Yeah. For me, it's the Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Is it Donald Duck is Scrooge? Is that... Right. No, Donald Duck is the nephew of Scrooge. Oh. Scrooge McDuck. Right. Okay, that is, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's in the name. I mean, I think. <laughs> no, I think I'll have to look that up. You're probably me, right. You're probably let me right. look that up. <laughs> I don't know that off the top of my head. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. No, sorry. Uh, 2004. There's an earthquake in the Indian Ocean that creates a massive tsunami, which hits Asia. I don't know if I, I remember this. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I've been like grade eight or something. Um, anyways, uh, about 228,000 people died and millions were displaced. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, like waves 100 feet high. Just unbelievable stuff. Uh, 2006, Pluto loses its planet status, gets demoted. Which, How do you feel about that? You, you ma- still have nine planets. Magic School Bus taught me different. 
And I'm going to stick with Magic School Bus over NASA because I don't know. Yeah. Miss Frizzles. Because we, Miss Frizzles. Miss Frizzle knows. She's the authority on all things. Right. Um, NASA, NASA needs to call up Miss Frizzle. Yeah. She'll set them straight. Because, yeah. Um, 2007, Steve Jobs reveals the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I have one sitting in front of me. It's not from 2007, but also not from 2022. It's getting there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 2010, this is the last one I've got. The Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building, is constructed in Dubai. It is a thousand feet taller than the CN Tower. I was going to say displaces the CN Tower from... Yeah, I think CN Tower actually got displaced a little bit earlier. There's this whole thing about, like, CN Tower was, like, the tallest building, and then they're like, well, it's the tallest freestanding structure, Mm -hmm. and then it's just the tallest tower, but now it's not any of those things. It's still an impressive building. Yeah. The Burj Khalifa is, like... It's also a much more substantial building mm-hmm. than the CN Tower, and it's flipping massive. It's huge. Huge. Anyways, yeah. Dubai's one of those places that it'd be cool to go. I don't know if I'd want to live there, but it'd be cool to go. Yeah, I think so. Like man-made islands. Like it's just a yeah. stupid amount of wealth. Like that's that's the thing. Like, but I don't know if it, like if it would just be the place where that would bother me. Just everything is so opulent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for instance, this is a... A tangent. That's okay. We got time. For instance, I had I had an opportunity to um, study in Beijing for eight weeks. Okay. Right. And while we were there, we were doing all the tours of the sites in Beijing and everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't enjoy it. It it all just felt really dirty. Okay. To me. Interesting. Right. Because we know that a lot of a lot of the beauty of these structures. Were not built by artisans who were praised for their artistry. Right. Right. They were forced laborers. Right. The wealth that produced it wasn't going to their pockets at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it was even wicked wealth at that point, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. And so just the amount of oppression that sort of brought all of these things to be. Mm. Just felt so dirty that I just I never enjoyed it. Like interesting, I yeah. wasn't into like going out into the city. Like we hung out for a long time in Tiananmen Square, mm. and I I didn't want to take pictures. Right, right. You're yeah. just like mm. pass. Yeah, yeah. No, I I could I could get that. I understand that. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, a, a lot of that's not to say that. What's going on in the UAE is the same yeah. as China, but just that sort of like materialism for the sake of materialism, right? And how yeah. how in places like that it just it is clearly the idol. Oh yeah, the local sure. idol for sure. <laughs> right? Don't tell them that though; they're all Muslim. Yeah, that just that just grosses me out. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just saw a video one time of like the police fleet. Of vehicles in Dubai, they have to be supercars because so many people own supercars. So they're like Ferraris and mm-hmm. Lamborghinis, like as their police vehicles. Because in order to catch people, you need you need that. Um, it's yeah. wild. It's a wild place. Yeah. I have a buddy who grew up there, and it's, it's on crazy. that same trip. I did get a chance to visit Doha, Qatar. Okay, what's that? Doha, Qatar. Qatar? Oh, Qatar. The, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, Sorry, Doha, Qatar. Yes. Right. So 
that that's the only time I've ever been in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the World Cup's going on. Yep. It wasn't it wasn't quite as opulent then as it is now. Mm-hmm. It was building to that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of structure built for the purpose of attracting and, uh, and hosting the World Cup. Mm. Uh, but it was the year they made their bid, so okay. it was kind of there. Cool. Um, it was incredibly clean. Wow. Um, and incredibly white, like, you know, just that sort of desert landscape with the white oh, nice. buildings that you expect to see in mm-hmm. the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a cool experience. Yeah. Cool. Well, today we're going to talk about a couple of responses, we could say, or reactions to some things that are going on. Reactions, mm-hmm. I think in part to the growth, the church growth movement, um, reactions to shift in culture, mm-hmm. and they're going to be kind of divergent from one another. Right. Right. They're going to be different and purposefully different. And yeah. and each of these paths are going to potentially point at the other one as kind of the worst thing going on <laughs> in Christianity right now. I agree. And and yesterday we were talking about this and I I made the comment and I I don't know if I did it in last week's episode. Um that talking about the emergent church feels just a lot like continuing to talk about the church growth movement. Mm-hmm. And I I was thinking about that last night and I want to backpedal on that a little. Okay, I'm glad you did cuz I was going to push on that. Yeah. Because I was doing that thing that I complain that our society does all the time. <laughs> where you you look at something and you see its ills, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is where uh, not just it it went wrong. This is where it holds the potential to go wrong. And we say that was the inevitable natural outcome. Mm-hmm. Right? As if all things run in entropy mm. to disaster and chaos. Right. And there's no human will capable of putting on the brakes to say, no, this is as far as I'll go. Yet, when someone wants to challenge and say, well, if you're an Arminian, then you have to go entirely into universalism. Or right. if you're a Calvinist, then you're a determinist and right. a fatalist. And, right. and we say, no, I'm, I am capable of putting on the brakes. Right. Yeah. I am capable of putting on the brakes. They are not. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Yeah. No, there's there's definitely an influence of um, the church growth movement. It's also... It definitely we, comes from yeah, it. So it's we, definitely birthed from yeah, it. Yeah, we've already kind of talked... Well, here, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that we have to understand about culture in our society. And this has kind of been going on for a while. The church is maybe a little late to the party, as they often are when it comes to cultural shifts. Um, we live in a postmodern culture. So it's a worldview that touches how people, you know, understand and interact with you know, politics, culture, art, philosophy, and religion, right? Subjectivism. Or relativism, so what's true for you, versus rationalism, right? It's an emphasis on experience over knowledge, images over words, spirituality over religion, and feelings over truth. That is postmodernism. And and postmodernism begins to be expressed within church movements. And and so the first major response to this postmodern movement is the emerging or emergent church. 
in the term the term the idea of the term emerging or emergent church is that as society has shifted a new church a a new way to be christian which is actually the name of one of <laughs> one of the books by one of the guys we're going to talk about uh needs to emerge a new a new thing um a different thing and it's going to ad- adopt a lot of this kind of postmodern approach to what it means to be christian what it means to be a church um but because of that there isn't like there isn't like a standard model for how the emergent church is always going to operate because yeah. it's re- relativistic right so right. like so at times right like so subjectivity is king right so so you're going to get everything from a church where like most of what they do seems fairly normal right mm-hmm. to you know all the way to the end, other end of the spectrum of like just some really like wacky, crazy <laughs> things going on. Right, being presented as you know, this is an alternative form of worship. Um, this is how we do things because this resonates with us or with certain individuals among us, even because you can't even do yeah. a thing that's good for your entire congregation because like, well, this person wants this and this person wants that, so you end up kind of with this sometimes a bit of a smorgasbord ap- approach to spirituality yeah and and i i think one of the things that differs from the emergent church and the church growth movement whereas the the church growth movement was focused on what are people's felt needs and how do we how does the church speak to those felt needs in a way that these people are going to identify as relevant so that they are eager to come and hear what we have to say about it. Um, the emergent church looks at, at a number of these surveys that are saying, I've been burned by the church. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, so we disassociate from the church. Yeah. And the emergent church does a lot, a lot of language, a lot of effort in disassociation from the church. Mm-hmm. Not what... The the thing that people need to find is the last thing that they expected, and yeah. and even even here locally, right? The, oh yeah. The largest example there, like when churches do mission statements or mm. mottos, whatever it is <laughs> sure. that you want to call it, whether you're into like the focusing of the mission or marketing, mm-hmm. however it wants to go. Ours is the gospel of Christ in and through. Mm-hmm. Um, the church for people who don't like church. Yeah. Right? That was that was on the sign in front of their building. Right? That is hardcore disassociation. Yeah. Which is far more problematic than the church growth movement. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, because what the church growth movement still retained at its core is salvation mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see is most expressions of the emergent church are going to either depart from that entirely or twist it into meaning something so different that it's unrecognizable. Right. And and the church growth movement it self-admittedly they got away from salvation through Jesus Christ because they were so not not as a belief, mm-hmm. but they didn't talk about it as often and as quickly as they should have mm-hmm. because they were focused on some other things. Mm-hmm. And the emergent church just talks about other things. Or if they do talk about this idea of 
you know, the atonement of the cross, they're going to be critical of it and, and mm. mock it as an right. outdated, you know, ridiculous notion that we all need to grow beyond. So right. they might talk, they might talk about the cross more, but in a way that like is contrary to what Christians have always believed mm-hmm. and I be, would, and they'd be proud of it. Like it's like they're, it's, it's like a badge of honor that they, they understand something that everyone else has gotten wrong. Right. So when I was in Toronto, um, there were an, a number of these kinds of conferences that would go on. Uh, and Tyndale hosted one of these conferences. Of course it did. <laughs> um, and there, the, the title of the conference was Reframing the Gospel. Fun. Right? This reestablishment of the gospel. Um, I ended up not going to it, but I, I, did, I did go to a different thing later on. Okay. It was a different thing. And just seeing the effect of emergent theology... Mm-hmm. On some of the kids that were there, we were talking about um, the question was, is it missional if you don't present the gospel? Mm. Right? Or is it just good works for society? Mm. And I was sitting at the table with a, a bunch of students there from Tyndale, and and I said, just to get to break the ice and get the ball rolling. I was the only one there that wasn't a part of this friends group. Mm-hmm. I said, there's a difference between good works and good works in the name of Christ. If we don't speak the name of Christ and his ultimate salvation, his ultimate healing, his ultimate deliverance, mm-hmm. whatever temporal, worldly salvations and deliverances we offer are temporal and not in the name of Christ. Mm. So they're not missional. Mm. They might be good, but they're not missional. Right. And one of the guys just looked at me with a smirk on his face and was like, but what is the gospel? As if he had trapped me, right? And I was just like, well, that's an easy answer, and I'm right. sorry that you had to ask. <laughs> You're at a seminary. So but I, I, but I very, very graciously and gladly <laughs> gave him what I believed to the gospel, and he goes, oh, but... The word gospel mm. means good news. No, really? And so oh you need to know what is good news for them. And if good news for them oh. is childcare, then you are bringing them gospel when you bring them childcare. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, brother, you lost me on that one. Oh, man. Because no. And, and, and everyone at the table just sort of looked at me like, yeah, you're the weird this, one. <laughs> this older generation of pastors that just. <laughs> yeah. We're going to move on past those notions, yeah. and yeah. and that is the product of these disassociation mm-hmm. from the gospel things, where where the emergent church took the momentum of the church growth movement mm-hmm. and ran a hard left. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's and it's a bit of a like a it's a Frankenstein Frankenstein's monster of liberal theology. Yeah. But, but it's the two of those. You know what? It's the worst. It's the worst parts of both <laughs> combined. That that might be true. Like if we were going to make this a math problem, it might be liberal theology plus church growth movement equals the emergent church. Yeah. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, that's what I would. That's how I was kind of thinking as I was working my way through, um, through the prep preparation for this this podcast. Yeah, I mean the thing like these term terms that like on 
at face value might seem, oh, that's interesting, or that might be a helpful notion, but really, like, what they end up becoming. So the idea of, like, contextual theology, mm-hmm. right? That's a big right. thing in the emergent church. So it's like, well, what is theologically true, it depends on your context. Right. Right? And so we need to adapt what we what we teach so where the church growth movement would say okay we're gonna we're gonna identify where our culture's at and try to like find ways to connect with them answer the questions they're asking right answer the questions they're asking and get them engaged and connected and then hopefully you know they'll hear the gospel they'll be saved this is like well we'll just change what the gospel is based on what these people want just like the you know in your discussion mm-hmm. there right if child care is good news then that's the good news for you right mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I would say one and this is someone's going to be like you are being really gracious with church growth movement we've acknowledged in the last episode they had things that ran amok sure whereas church growth movement says what are the questions they're asking Mm -hmm. so that we can answer them Mm -hmm. emergent church says what are the answers they want to hear (laughs) so that we can deliver them (laughs) no that's that's actually yeah that's true that is that's brilliant yeah so we'll talk let's talk about briefly here about a couple of these characters i i don't know i think i got a couple guys that you know we could talk about i think one of the one of the key figures um is a guy by the name brian mclaren mm-hmm. so yep. Br- brian mclaren um graduated uh with a postgraduate degree in english and was an english professor before he started cedar ridge community church back in 86 and he was there for like 20 years until he left um, to just pursue full-time writing and public speaking. And what actually put Brian McLaren on the map, and he was a poster boy of evangelical Christianity for, for a short time. Um, he wrote this fictional trilogy about a pastor who is struggling with Christianity in the modern world and has a series of conversations and and kind of navigates like you know what does it mean and like you know the idea is like it's kind of it was kind of a, a foot in the door way of kind of of saying you know like well it's about experiencing it it's about you know um it's not so much about being right but as being you know having the right heart and all that stuff and and, and there's elements of that 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 are that resonate and that are true to a degree and 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 people loved him right like christianity today gave him a, a, an award time magazine wrote articles about him and he was yeah people people liked him this kind of yeah um and the the the, ser- the book the fictional book i think was called a, a new kind of christian and then in 2010 he wrote a book called a new kind of christianity and a new kind of Christianity was set up essentially as like these 10 questions that Christians need to ask themselves. And and it's all framed like, okay, well, let's have a let's have a conversation. But really what he's doing is just like trying to decimate all foundational doctrine. So here's the thing. He calls it a new kind of Christianity. A lot of what he's saying isn't new, and it certainly isn't Christian mm-hmm. by the time he's done. Um yeah, so his one his his big thing. And this is also picked up by other by other guys later on. Um, the, the Bible has been distorted by this Greco-Roman narrative, right? Right. So the whole like, you know, creation, fall, um, you know, redemption, glorification, like that whole framework by which we understand the biblical narrative mm-hmm. is really just a Greco-Roman thing, which like to me doesn't even make sense because like the majority of the biblical text is written 
was written by Hebrew. Like it wasn't even written by people who were influenced by <laughs> a Greco-Roman worldview. But anyways, but that's his big shtick. He doesn't really back it up well. And he does things like, okay, so he'll like, okay, so he'll be, he'll, he would, he'll, he'll be critical of, you know, kind of the evangel, this kind of uneasy marriage between the evangelical church and right-wing conservative politics, which, you know what? Fair enough. Like mm-hmm. there, that yep. it gets weird sometimes, right? Like sometimes, sometimes those, the, you know, when they're on the same page, you're like, okay, that makes sense. And then on another issue, you're like, okay, well, what's, what's going on here? But then what he does in response to that is just say, yeah, no, what Christian teaching is actually about is just like far left wing Paul. Like he, he criticizes marrying the church to a political system, sure, but then turns around and proposes that he do that again. Like, so it's it's all over the place. I and that's the liberal theology influence. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. And he uses scripture to defend his opinions while also constantly arguing that we can't use scripture as a standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where you run into you run into issues like uh, there's there's some smaller groups that form mm. from this practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red letter Christianity. Yeah, was a, a blip. Yep. On the radar. Yep. yep. Um, red letter Christianity was, uh, we believe the all, all of the Bible is useful, but particularly the words of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's, that's problematic on really two levels. Mm-hmm. One, anytime you give particular emphasis, you've reduced other emphasis. emphasis. Mm-hmm. So if it is the holy delivered and preserved word of God, mm-hmm. right? Then it is uniformly authoritative. Right. All of it, you would argue, <laughs> is breathed by God and useful. Right. Well, if Jesus is quoting it, right. right? Like, so like a lot of those red letters are direct quotes from the Old Testament. Right. So <laughs> right? even though, so even though like... they wouldn't say, we're downplaying some of the stuff Paul had to say, mm. which. Of course, there. Eventually, eventually, you get N.T. Wright, who was this peculiar sort of like emergent thought, but an Anglican yeah. scholar, yeah. Um, sort of in his work. He will eventually downplay Paul and and write the book something like something along the lines of what Paul really said, or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in saying, well, we particularly hold these things up. You are in effect, downplaying the others. Right. The, the second problem with the notion of red-letter Christianity is that the reason those other things were believed to have been uh, downplayed and, and taken less seriously, although not thrown away, is because they have been corrupted, mm. because they've been handled by humans along the way, mm. as if the words of Jesus weren't also written by mm. the exact same people right. and handled and translated by those exact same people, right? So mm-hmm. there is there is a a biblical theology problem. Mm. There's also just a logical fallacy. Yeah. Well, so here's a quote from him just in how he would define Scripture. Scripture faithfully reveals the evolution of our ancestors' best attempts to communicate their successive best understandings of God. And as human capacity grows to conceive of a higher and wiser view of God, each new vision is faithfully preserved in Scripture like fossils and layers of sediment. And then that would then continue into the modern day. 
So like higher and better view of God is higher and better than what was written in the New Testament, which was higher and better. And so like for us, like, so there's an element of that. There's an ingredient in that statement Mm -hmm. that we might say, okay, we believe it to like in like a progressive revelation, right? Right. Like the, the people who lived in Israel at the time of the judges don't know as much about God's redemptive plan as, you know, the Christians in Rome that Paul is writing to. Mm-hmm. naturally. So there is a progressive revelation over time. But what he is saying is like, as they were being written, the authors were just given, they're just giving us the best they could, they could come up with those, you know, simple, right. simple, you know, foolish, backward people. This is what they thought of God, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really know what they were talking about. And so, you know, we can, we, we can, we'd see that they, you know. Right. And the other area where I would say this gleans dangerously, valid although it's not Mm. i would argue the best theologians of our day understand more than the best theologians of the early church Mm. right yeah donald carson yeah has things to teach origin yeah why because he has two thousand years of watching these things play out Watching great minds come together and have conversations, Mm -hmm. seeing things go wrong, seeing things really work out and unfold in Scripture. Mm -hmm. All of that experience is something that Origen didn't have access to, that we do. We've talked about that on this podcast, is why I'm willing to throw a bone to the Church Fathers if they don't write a statement of faith that looks just like the one at my local Baptist church, Mm -hmm. right? The the problem is, we're not talking now in the emergent church. We're not talking about theological developments. We're talking about the Bible itself. Right. The source text mm-hmm. was wrong. Yeah. In their opinion. Yeah. Or the source text was at least uh, relative in its context mm-hmm. and is no longer relative. Yeah. Right. Um, the thing about that is the Bible. The Bible talks to this. Mm. The Bible tells us, Peter tells us that the prophets prophesied about things that we would come to experience, and they knew that they were serving us and not themselves. Mm. They longed to look into these things, but they knew that it wasn't for them, right? right? Do I believe that John perfectly understood everything he wrote down (laughs) in his revelation and how it was going to play out? No. Yeah, of course not. He wrote down what he was given. Mm-hmm. He understood what he understood, and he was just faithful to bring forth the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I believe that to be true, mm. right? Um, that seems to be how God works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is there a part of understanding that truth mm-hmm. that will grow? Sure, but the truth itself doesn't change. Right. And that's the huge difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I one, think... one I, I would say maybe for them, Scripture is a stepping stone rather than a cornerstone. Right? Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. where we began, yeah. and we're, we're working our way up, and, and that's like three flights of stairs behind us now. Right. And if you remove that, it's okay, we've moved on. Yeah. Whereas if, you, if Scripture is your, the cornerstone of, of your theology, mm-hmm. right? then the removal of that brings everything to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. There's, man, like there's an example of this. I got to be considerate of like what details I share. There's someone in one of my classes 
who is um, a pastor at a church that we're not um, not affiliated with, but she's in my Hebrew she's in my Hebrew class, and she mentioned what text that she mentioned a, a biblical character that she was preaching about, and I was like, oh, like that's actually going to be the passage that I'll be preaching on Christmas morning. And she says, well, mm-hmm. we didn't really preach through the passage. We're actually, for an Advent series, there's a series of paintings that were done by this artist of different scenes. And we're, we're preaching through reflections on these paintings. Mm-hmm. Because that somehow resonates with their people more. That's a more meaningful way of talking about the coming of Christ, is unpacking these paintings. Mm-hmm. Now... This church is not part of our local affiliation. Uh, but it is but, but local it, and large because I think I know who you're talking about, and we <laughs> haven't even, like, that's the first time I've heard you say that, and I, I think I know where she goes to church. Okay, well, then there you go. Um, in any case, this so this kind of stuff is happening mm-hmm. around. Uh, but interestingly enough, like, this is, there's not enough time expired for me to make this statement with any sort of authority or or even uneasiness okay. <laughs> because I'm not sure it's true. Mm. There is to me a sense that those churches that are trying to do that relevant cool thing mm-hmm. are becoming very out of fashion mm. for the for what people are looking for and coming to and in that sort of bizarre way that you know the adult tries too long to be a teenager Mm -hmm. and ends up just being more strange to the teenager than if he would just act like an adult. Yeah. Kind of that. Man, if I went into a church on a Sunday morning and somebody wants to pull out some, like, throw up some, like, PDF of a a painting someone painted and talk about that for 30 minutes rather than cracking open God's Word, like, what? You know what? I what? I... I would be really tempted to get up and walk out. Oh yeah, I've 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 only done that on one occasion mm. that I just walked out on a church service. Yeah, um, I just think honestly, and I think like some some of these places might because they're doing kind of these like new and like innovative and creative things like mm-hmm. might might do okay for the short term, but I think long long term like you're you're gonna make yourself irrelevant in the same way that the mainline churches have done. Yeah. Right? It's 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 like you're trying you're trying this you're doing the same thing with in slightly, you know, in in cooler packaging. Mm-hmm. But it's this it's the same product essentially at the end of the day. Um and so like what do you think like what do you think is going to like you think it's going to work? Yeah, so so here's what here's what time has shown us about the immersion church model. Mm. The church explodes quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And they they're big churches. They become big churches. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're adding people by the dozens on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Yet, the church reaches a threshold, and and although it continues to add people like crazy, it continues to be the same size. And the terminology, sort of the colloquial terminology, has come to be the back door is as open as the front door. Right. Right. And so, so what happens in this kind of theology is they are, they are needing to get out and constantly be bringing in new people. Mm-hmm. They need the, the dozens a month mm-hmm. of new faces because they're also losing that. Mm-hmm. 
And so they're bailing the water out of the boat as fast as it fills up. Mm. And so they, they do hit a threshold um, where over time, people who have been there for a couple of months or whatever, I, when I was in Peru, I um, got engaged in an emergent church at a leadership level. Mm. Uh, part of it was because it was one of two English-speaking churches in the city. <laughs> and the other part was, I've heard a lot about this, and I want to see it from the inside. Sure, sure. I don't want I want to stop taking everyone else's word on it, yeah. and I just want to see it. Um, they brought me up into leadership within like six months and told me that I had six months to find my replacement because that's how fast they wanted the turnover of leadership because that got people engaged. Okay. And if someone has a leadership position, a specific role, they're less likely to just wander off. Huh. But it was quick. It was, you know, within a year, I was supposed to take a spot of leadership and then replace myself. Wow. And, uh, I mean, at that point, they hardly knew me. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, it'd be interesting to see kind of how things play out because this thing is, it's still something that's going on. I think it's already lost a lot of its steam. I think, but I think there will always be a, a, a there will always be an audience for it, I think. Sure. I think it will, it will not always be the larger churches. Mm. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll make itself down. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens just operationally. Because they do have usually not huge church buildings like warehouses and those kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. So when they bring themselves to a place where they're more like other churches, you know, two, three hundred, mm-hmm. um, if if that pl- is how it plays out, then what about these like huge facilities that right, they have, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, we could t- we could talk about Rob Bell. We could talk about other you know, household names. Greg who, Boyd. Greg Boyd. Yeah. We could, it's we, a big one. We could talk about guys like, like that, but time is getting away from us and we got to talk about how around the same time. Hold on. We got to, we just got to throw Bruxy in. Oh, and Bruxy. Bruxy's yeah. name. In there. Oh, as, as a local expression. Bruxy KV is the Canadian expression of the emergent church. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Yeah. And I, I've sat under his teaching for, a few months when I was in university up in Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, obviously streamed in or whatever. Um, but yeah, and I, I saw the appeal, but then I've also seen like, you know, um, extended family members who were like deeply engaged in that church, just like really disconnect um, from, you know, initially it's a disconnection from like Orthodox teaching, but then it like, it, it, it seems to just kind of like, progressively just end with people just walking away from it. Yeah, here so here's been my experience with <clears throat> the meeting house churches uh and C3 churches mm. uh who's an expression of this from Australia that is planted some oh, in okay. Toronto. Okay. So when I was in Toronto, I was we were sort of surrounded by uh C3 and meeting house. And I, I really saw it work out two ways. I know you were trying to move on, yeah, but okay. this just dawned on me. I really saw it work out two ways. I saw people who wanted nothing to do with the church, hadn't given an ear to the church, mm. come to Christ. Mm. Cool. And these emergent churches and C3 churches realizing there's something more that I'm not thinking about. Mm-hmm. But in their infancy of true faith, realizing this church doesn't have the answer. Right. They pointed me to the answer. And, and at one point... We had a, ver- a thriving young adults ministry 
that were just people who had been introduced to the idea of church at C3 and had come to our church to be discipled. Right. Right? So as a gateway, as an introductory church that Mm -hmm. then you just hope people move on from, Mm -hmm. I've seen it work that way. When I've seen those who grew up in the church go to those, Mm -hmm. I've seen it work as sort of a permission to make your way out of the church. Yeah, it's kind of like a step on the way to apostasy, essentially. Yeah, so so those people who who would say, mom and dad always had me in church. I kind of feel like I should keep going to church. If I don't, like, lots of questions with grandma mm-hmm. at Thanksgiving yeah. kind of stuff. Moving in that direction because it, it's more palatable for them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually not even doing that. Right. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah. I, it, it's, it, it's just... Those are just observations. I'm not going to make a yeah. a statement yeah. on on that one way or the other, but that's just what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so around the same time that the emergent church was emerging, there is a very different reaction to mm-hmm. the changing culture. Um, it's got some different names. Um, some of these names are a little outdated, but but they were meaningful at the time. Uh, the YRR, the Young, Restless, and Reformed. That's the one that's going to stand time. Yeah. The the term that, you know, there's also like New Calvinism and there's different different ones like eh. that. Yeah. Whatever. YRR is the one yeah. that's going to go into fun. the history books. Yeah. The, the term actually came out of an article from Christianity Today describing this movement. This mm-hmm. is not something that they gave themselves. This was just, you know, Christian journalists saying, this is a thing that I'm seeing. Um. The cover of that magazine has a guy standing there in a t-shirt that says, Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you just you just identified yourself yeah. in the movement. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did. So, I was late to the party, though. So, essentially, okay. So, essentially, let's break down what these three terms, right? The particularities of the movement. So, young, restless, reform. Young, the idea is that, you know, again, as this movement is taking shape kind of in the middle 2000s, um, these people are in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, because um, we're talking 16 years ago mm-hmm. is kind of when this article was written. Um, they're restless, so there's a dissatisfaction with the status quo in, the, in evangelical Christianity, a push for change. And it's not a push to something new, but it's actually a push towards something old, mm-hmm. which is then where you get the reformed. So they are overwhelmingly Calvinistic and looking to rediscover the doctrines that were emphasized in the Reformation, sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. holiness of God, um, you know, pursuit, like living for the glory of God. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's that. So that, that kind of defines the movement. And it's, um, it's not always pretty, like, because there is, you know, they, they quickly become known for being, like, combative online. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like they, yeah. they get a reputation for, like, being critical. Cage stage Calvinism cage was not a concept yeah, before so, the YRR movement. So the cage stage Calvinism is a concept for those who aren't familiar with it. Like the idea is that like when people come to um, more Calvinistic um, uh, convictions, mm-hmm. that you need to put them in a cage for a little while so they can calm down. Because for the first little while, they just want to argue with everyone. Right. Um, I've been there. 
Like that was me yeah. a while ago. Um, yeah, it's a stereotype for a reason. Yeah, yeah, it's a stereotype for a reason, right? Um, right. So, like, the, here's the thing, right? Like the doctrines associated with this movement, they had persisted all along in kind of the historically reformed churches, like the du- the Dutch churches, the you know the conservative Presbyterian churches. But what was new is how this movement really spread amongst Baptists or other denominations that are mm-hmm. essentially Baptists. Um, and, and the rise of this movement and the YR movement, like it might seem counterintuitive, right? I mean, in a world that is, you know, the emergent church makes sense when you put it next to the culture because you're right. like, oh, they're doing the same thing that the culture is doing, right? Mm-hmm. Relativism, feelings, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I, you know, I don't, I'm not into anything that's organized or whatever. This is, this is a hard turn from that. This is the, this is the opposite. Yeah. You um, know what I think, you know what I think it comes from? I think it comes from a desire for something real. Yes. A desire to fight real battles. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a society, in a culture where we are socioeconomic, our socioeconomic status mm-hmm. is very cushioned. Yeah, it is. Um, and and everything is so padded mm-hmm. and safe. Mm-hmm. And a desire to just sink your teeth into something real and powerful with weight, mm-hmm. something with gravitas. It's something that's something that's hard. Like it's a yeah. challenge, right? right? Like like diving into you know the, these deep waters of doctrine, right. and that the weight of the call on 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 the life of the believer within the historically reformed tradition, mm-hmm. like it's heavier. Yeah. And, and for a generation who were brought up in the church growth movement in particular, who were, it's like, let's keep things as light as we can for people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, especially theologically, um, like let's just, you know, very vanilla, very, you know, and I don't want to throw everyone in the same basket, but like, Okay. Let's let's talk about let's talk about our ex- personal experience about it. Okay, why don't you start? Because you, yours happened first. Um, yeah. So, Colin Hansen hmm. wrote a book, a journalist's journey with the New Calvinists, mm-hmm. Young, Reckless, and Reformed. Mm-hmm. Chapters one and two are both John Piper. Yeah. Why? Why he didn't just write one? double long chapter i don't know <laughs> uh chapters one and two are both john piper mm-hmm. in let me do the math here who's not young by the way no <laughs> he, very restless in his own way yeah and very reformed yeah um in 1999 i'm guessing mm. uh, the passion conference had been meeting for a number of years, and I had never gone. I was uh, a sophomore, mm. junior in university, something like that. And they had decided instead of doing Passion that year, they were going to do a thing called One Day. And so uh, at One Day, they had found this ranch just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and they were going to have all of these college students come and just pitch a tent in in these fields. They had divided, like, 
into different fields because we're talking like thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands of people. And they had breakout worship sessions. Like my breakout worship session leader was Sonic Flood. That's awesome. Who at the time was as big as it gets. Yeah. Uh, Then we turn around like the next day, it was Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and like all of these guys leading worship, right? Nice. Um, Which being the, you know, a college kid, music is kind of Mm. hyper-focus. I'm a music person in general. So I was there all because of the music. Right, like seeing the names on this bill of who was going to be leading the worship, I was like, "Oh, I'm there." And when we got there, it rained mm. on the the one day. It was cold, and it rained, and yet thousands of us just sat there, soaking wet in the rain. And at one point, there's a news helicopter like flying around, shooting video <laughs> of all these stupid college kids. <laughs> Sitting out listening to preachers in the pouring rain in Memphis, Tennessee. And on the stage steps this, at that point, middle-aged guy who is from Memphis, uh, Memphis, from, from Minnesota. And he starts talking about wasting your life. Mm. Um, And he says, people look at martyrdom missionaries who've lost their life in the service of God, and they say, what a tragedy. And then he opens this obituary, possibly falsified for drama, which would not be a problem. Uh, maybe true. I think it was Reader's Digest. It was a Reader's, it was a Reader's Digest. Okay. Reader's Digest description of like this. So what we're teasing out here is this is in probably most top ten lists of most famous sermons ever preached in mm-hmm. the Christian church. Yeah. Right. And I, I was there. That's so cool. Um, and, and he reads about this man who had died in Florida and his wife's memory of him was that he loved collecting seashells. Mm. And he said, that's the tragedy. The legacy of this man's life, as mm. remembered by his friends and families, and mm. put out to the world, was he loved collecting seashells. Mm-hmm. It still hits like a bomb. Yeah, yeah. It, the later it became the book "Don't Waste Your Life." Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a formative thing for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I. I... I would agree, right? Because I think what he was pointing out was like that the the goal for most Western people is to have that that lifestyle where mm-hmm. you can retire early, move to Florida, play golf every day, right, and collect seashells on the beach. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a nice way to ride out into the sunset and live your golden years? And what a waste that would be, right? right? And and interestingly enough, like. Not only the the divine message that the Holy Spirit would speak through that, particularly to me, mm. I would say there was even something strange and divine about, you know, pe- pastors like to do the whole, like, I don't believe you're here by accident. Right. Divine prompting mm-hmm. to be present. Tim Callies later did a piece on that sermon and acknowledged, like, that he had spoken to hundreds 
of pastors and missionaries that said, I was there that rainy day in Memphis, mm. and I am now a pastor or a missionary mm. because in large part of that challenge that was given on that day. Mm. So it, it's almost, I, I don't want to paint it out to be more than it might have been, but it's mm-hmm. almost a divine gathering of a generation mm-hmm. of future leaders who didn't know that that's who they were at that point, right. who set it out, heard from what some like to call Pope Piper for, <laughs> for the YRR crowd, uh, <laughs> to hear John Piper deliver that message in a way that would then send them out mm-hmm. And uh, and decades later, those are the people making impact, right? Yeah, yeah. You can, I mean, you can find if you just look up John Piper seashells in YouTube, you can see like the trimmed down version of the, the mm-hmm. sermon. It's you look not, closely, maybe long. you'll find me. It's not long. Um, yeah. So and then, okay. So then, Tim. After that, though, like, what was your like? How did you end this, up? This is going to be a two-hour episode. No, it's not. That's fine. It's fine. Um, so how then? Like, okay. So you hear John Piper at this youth conference, but then mm-hmm. like. Yeah, so so that didn't throw me into a YRR. Mm-hmm. I would argue I never entered into the YRR. Okay. Right? Um what it what it ended up doing for me was it ended up lighting a fire under me that said God has called me to a purpose. Mm-hmm. I was already a youth pastor at that time. Um I I my licensing for ministry, my local church First Baptist Church, Mansfield, Arkansas, mm. uh, commissioned me to the pursuit of ministry, pursuit and practice of ministry, um, not an ordination, but just mm-hmm. basically a piece of paper that says, go get them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I was 18. Um, and so I had been teaching Sunday school there. I, I was hired as a youth pastor, uh, just like two weeks before I turned 19, wow. right? So I was already doing some of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already believed that that's what God had called me to. Um, but this just sort of said, there is no looking back. Mm. And and I've heard pastors talk about like, well, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? Mm. And I've had people say, you know, you're pastoring now, but could you see yourself later? And the answer is no. Right. The answer is like, I... Dear friend of mine, when we were at a pastor's gathering together, said, this is who we are. It's not what we do. Mm. And that's James Seward at uh, Maple Avenue Baptist in Georgetown, Ontario. Mm. And I was just like, man, we're in this. Yeah. And, uh, and that's just sort of, that's what it did for me. It just told me, this is who you are and this is what you're going to do. Mm. And and there cool. may be seasons where you pay the bills doing other things, mm-hmm. but nothing else matters right. to you but this. Mm. Um and so so for me it was less of it was more of a missional engagement than cool. it was a theological engagement. Okay. To be honest with you, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Um the memories of that exact moment it's not like I, I carry them around in a locket and open them up and just gaze at them <laughs> regularly. Um, right, 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 right. Maybe, I, I don't know how many years ago it was now, I was reading Callie's piece on this, mm. and I went, wait a minute. I was there. 
wait a minute. <laughs> That's awesome. This sounds familiar. That's cool. And and looked up and, and sure it was that, right? Mm. Uh so whereas some of these other guys are like, I can point to that moment. Mm. I would have said, I can't. Right. But now I look back and I'm like, now that you've pointed that out to me, I do remember the impact that it had. And maybe the reason I wouldn't have pointed it out in the beginning is just because I have a bad memory and not because it wasn't that mm-hmm. level of impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, but but entering in, so I didn't come from, I, I came from a Southern Baptist church. The Southern Baptist convention has really struggled with Calvinism versus the traditional Southern Baptist position, which is... Arminianism. Arminian up until the fifth point. <laughs> like the one point Calvinists, right? Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints is the the one that they would hold to. Right. Um, and although in in this book, chapter four of mm. most influential things in the YRR movement is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, because Al Mohler brought that to Southern, oh, and yeah. it was a huge, it was a huge deal. turning point. Yeah. Um, and now people go there because they are YRR. And not even Baptist, right? right? They just want to be a part of that legacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but those kind of those kinds of leanings, where I would find myself in that more broadly reformed camp, mm-hmm. came as a as a process of time. Sure. Um, and so I I don't think I ever. It, it's it's interesting though because. What we're going to find in the two thousand the two thousand ten teens, sure. I don't even know what you call those. Yeah, whatever. The decade before this one, mm-hmm. uh, is these guys become associated not only because of their theology and their age, young and reformed, mm-hmm. um, but also because of their style. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing thick rim glasses with big beards, <laughs> <laughs> and so. Because of my age and my glasses and my beards, people are always like, oh, you're that typical, and you're, you're wearing boots and jeans. You're the typical YRR guy. <laughs> you're like, I'm not even a Calvin. It, was, it wasn't even true. <laughs> it wasn't even true, but I was always pegged with it. Um, That's funny. That's and, funny. <laughs> and, and I, like, it wasn't worth fighting over. I'm, yeah, not, yeah, I'm yeah. not anti the YRR movement, <laughs> um, although I think they could have used a little less restless. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, so I kind of... I kind of came through this, had to do my own experimentations with Rob Bell. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, when he started doing his NUMA videos, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is pretty great. Mm -hmm. And then he publishes Love Wins, and Piper tweets out, goodbye, Rob Bell. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he was kind of dabbling with some of those guys in the YRR group. Sure, yeah. Right? Uh, But starting to show some, some difficult theology. And then in Love Wins... He says, I'm not a universalist. People are going to pin me for a universalist. A universalist says, everyone comes to God. All roads lead up to the point of the mountain. And mm-hmm. and so he said, that's not what I'm saying. You're saved through Jesus alone. But all roads lead to Jesus. Like, <laughs> Bro. <That's> universalism <laughs> with an extra step. Right. Um, that's universalism once removed. So I, yeah. I had, I remember sitting at a cafe outside at night in the streets of Lima, Mm. reading that book, thinking, surely all of these people that I've come to trust so much are wrong and are throwing him under the bus. And then I was reading, and I just wanted to throw 
the book. Well, it was a Kindle, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and so I, I had to come through right. some of that and then found my way into the ESV mm. and found my way into uh, Kevin DeYoung, yeah. who's a young mover mm-hmm. in, uh, in this group, uh, CJ Mahaney, mm. who's a big mover into this group, um, more Piper through Desiring God Ministries, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a latecomer. I, even you introduced me to uh, the Doctrine and Devotion podcast, which is mm. Joe Thorne, who's a big mover in this from the beginning. Right. I was in his own way. Yeah, I was a bit of a Driscoll fan. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Thorne was right there with Driscoll. At sure. the Very beginnings of it. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was I was a Driscoll fan. Um, I thought he went too far for shock value. Sure. Um, but then, so here's here's what I'll say. We've talked a lot about how these other movements have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. This movement is probably one that you and I would be most associated to. We're not. We're not without our guys going wrong. Oh no. Yeah, Mark Driscoll is a perfect example. Of Mark that. Driscoll, C.J. Mahaney. I mentioned yeah. Mahaney, right? Mahaney yeah. had his problems, yeah. right? We both we are doing this. This is going to go on the Gospel Coalition mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. This very podcast, which is a product of this sort of resurgence of mm-hmm. young reformed gatherings across mm-hmm. denominational bounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's an association that we're carrying out. We went to T4G, yeah, which is this movement, right? Come to age. Um, and and inside of our own camp, we still have human beings mm-hmm. who still do human things. Right. Not in a boys will be boys kind of a way, but as in a, we live in a fallen world and we ourselves are susceptible. Oh, yeah. Um, so is it a perfect movement? Mm. No. Um, I consider myself just sort of on the fringe of it. Um, I never really, I never had the Jonathan Edwards as my homeboy shirt. Um, although if I had one, I'd wear it. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my journey into it. And, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the legacy of it is. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think, I think we are seeing it shape the church. Yeah, certainly have an impact for sure. Yeah, I, I think most congregations don't realize their pastors in their fifties, if they came into it late, and early thirties, even late twenties, that that would be kind of the span that mm-hmm. these guys would have caught the front end or the tail end of this kind of a movement. I think congregations would be surprised to find out what percentage especially like say in, in the Feb, mm-hmm. Baptist pastors, Southern Baptist pastors, mm. what percentage of those guys are increasingly reformed mm-hmm. and um, and moving away from things like dispensationalism into all millennialism and those kinds of theologies that come with reformedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops as those the teachings of those guys become the norm in congregations and that's just what people grew up with right yeah right it'll take decades to get there Mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting to see how that shapes out yeah so let's hear let's hear your entrance into it okay (laughs) your journey through it uh yeah so i mean for me you know raised raised in um a baptist church at least in part um 
every other Sunday with my dad going to Feb Church. And uh, with my mom, we kind of bounced around. So I was exposed to a variety of Christ- forms of Christianity. Mm. And, I don't, and I don't know. And here's the thing I got to be, I got to be humble about. Because like, I, I don't want to be overly critical of like my Sunday school teachers, my youth leaders, or even the senior pastors who were leading the church, you know, these churches while I was growing up. Some, some of them I can be, but you know, the, the churches my dad went to were overall good, good churches, believe the Bible, love the Lord. But you know, when I kind of went off on my own and really walked away from things, um, it was a really difficult process for me to kind of come back. But but in those early days, working up at Muskoka Bible Center and kind of being thrust into a teaching role that I really had no business being in, I oh. was essentially a baby Christian. At I'm, that point. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you there. Mm-hmm. If I could if I could have any wish, any career wish. Mm. I would love to have a conference for everyone who sat under my teaching for the first 10 years of my ministry <laughs> and just see those kids <laughs> as adults. And then I'd love to have about an hour to fix all the stupid things I said. Well, okay. So for me, what what kind of was happening um, was I, I was kind of thrust into this position where I needed to do a lot of teaching, teaching with the youth and then teaching the staff. Um, not the, not the adult staff well, the young adult and teenage staff. And so started like, like reaching out for like resources, like what, you know, where can I get some information on how to like teach this passage or whatever. Right. And so the first, the first thing that popped up was actually, you know, Matthew Henry's free commentary online. Just because it was, I didn't have any commentaries. Yeah, that's I had, a huge one. I had nothing, so I just like I went. I was working up at camp, and I'm like, I need to write messages. I need some kind of commentary. Mm-hmm. So Matthew Henry was free, and so and what I found was, okay, this guy's been dead for 300 years, but there's something about what he is saying that that resonates with me in a way that sometimes went beyond what I heard in the pulpit locally contempor you know contemporarily and so i was like man like who would have thought right like and i had virtually no you know exposure to the reformed tradition or anything i'm like who would have thought some guy who's been dead for so stinking long would have such you know insightful things to say right yeah in my in my youthful ignorance right and that's where that's where some of these online bible study tools play Mm -hmm. a huge role in that oh yeah because the public domain uh commentaries that they throw out there Mm -hmm. are people like Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry. Yeah. And then, so anyway, so, so there's, there's a little bit of that and, and, you know, and then there's, you know, there's watching sermons on, on YouTube, right? So the, the seashells that don't waste your life one, right? Watch that in that oh, yeah? era. Yeah. There was, um, Paul Washer. Oh yeah. That was a big one. The shocking youth message. Um, which I don't think was the title of his sermon, but that's, you know, if you're looking for it on YouTube, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, just like really hit me, started to feel like a real weight, like a weight to Christianity that I don't feel I ever really experienced before. And again, I don't want to say that's because it wasn't being communicated appropriately growing up, but like I, I started to feel frustrated, like the restless like I was young and the restless started to come mm-hmm. out and it was a frustration. There is a depth to God's word. Absolutely. And who he is and how he works. And I felt like 
we were always just, I grew up just skimming the surface. Mm -hmm. This is what you need for your fire insurance. You know, be a good Christian, learn some good lessons. And again, from people who I genuinely believe love the Lord, um, and I got to be careful because, again, it might just have been me not paying attention, but all of a sudden things just get opened up for me. And I felt I felt like I was cheated, like I was robbed. Mm-hmm. I felt like, man, maybe if I was brought up, like if I had learned this stuff in Sunday school or youth group, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gone off the rails and, and wasted four years of my life. Yeah, right? this is where every parent is yelling at the speaker right now, being like, just wait. Just wait until I know. until your I know. kid comes home, because because we just do this as kids, right? Like there's yeah. something there's something about the age that that mm-hmm. age of awakening mm-hmm. in college, right? Yeah, which is why I think the young side of this is so important, mm-hmm. right? There's something about that moment where you hear someone else say the thing that you've been saying all along, and they're like. Ta-da! I had no idea. Right, right. Like, is it <laughs> is it David Platt who tells the story about going on vacation with his mother-in-law? Mm. Uh, their family goes on vacation, and he gets up early, and he's making himself a pot of coffee, and he looks in his mother-in-law, who they had been praying for and witnessing to for fourteen years, mm. is sitting there reading her Bible, and he's like, "What?" Mm. What's going on here? And she's like, "Yeah, I was driving down the road and I was listening to this radio preacher, and I gave my life to Christ." And he's just like, what? "Okay, <laughs> I've been trying for so long." Yeah, no, that's so that that is like that's a very real thing, and, right? And, and, and I'll say, I, I was at a pastor's conference, and I I heard a pastor say, or he was he was a pastor, but he's also the board of a seminary mm-hmm. on the board of a seminary, and they were receiving candidates into the seminary, and in all of their testimonies, mm-hmm. they were saying, "I grew up in church." But I never heard the gospel preached mm-hmm. until this thing happened, just out of high school or at the end of high school, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I came to fully understand. Mm-hmm. And in a break session, one of the guys on the panel said, This is problematic. Like, our churches are not preaching the gospel because everyone here is saying, I grew mm-hmm. up in the church and I didn't hear it. Right. And this guy said, People from my church will say the same thing, and they'll say the same thing about yours. Yeah, that's yeah. there's just something to yeah. the awakening of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit to the gravity mm-hmm. of the gospel. Yeah, because I would say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I know I grew up under a sound pastor, right? Oh yeah, no, and I I would say I I did hear the gospel growing up. I did mm-hmm. like I heard the gospel, and I heard you know I heard people who love the Lord and love his word teach and preach at different levels. I think it just it was it was just lacked depth. Yeah. And and, and the question like the deep questions the you know some of the questions that we're going to get into in this podcast next year I just felt like they're uh, nobody was able to give me the compelling answers that I needed to those questions. Mm-hmm. And and it was you know that so anyway so for me there was definitely a restlessness and a frustration. There was a frustration with the status quo of what you know, evangelical Christianity had become, you know, and where, what the metrics were of success were and, you know, what, you know, the way that we understood kind of, you know, like we don't have Christianity on our terms. It's on God's terms. Right. Like that that was something that I'm like, well, yeah, of course that's true. But like, I'd only ever, I'd only ever experienced that reality in, in, in regards to like, you know, morality, like, oh, you don't get to live your own way. You have to live God's way. But it's like, mm-hmm. we're supposed to worship God's way. We're yeah. supposed to run a church God's way. We're supposed right. to preach God's way. And, like, I just—no one ever told me. Like, I, that's the stuff that I'm like, 
okay, this stuff I feel like feel like you're hearing for the first time, whether I was or not. Right. I, I would say I would I would just sort of maybe point the phenomenon to secular theologian Chris Martin, mm. uh, lead singer songwriter for Coldplay, okay. who says, <laughs> uh, "I met theologian. God in the garden." Mm. And I don't know what he said because my heart, it wasn't open, mm-hmm. right? Mm. To hear that song from a secular mm. lips mm-hmm. is crushing, but yet at the same time, yeah, very self-reflective yeah. and true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I read Desiring God and that would kind of seal the deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read the Desiring God, read some books on eschatology and ecclesiology and soteriology and and then here I am. Mm-hmm. I was in the cage stage for a bit. Thankfully, before I came on as a pastor, I, I went through that during my early marriage years and thankfully didn't get in any fights at our church. I found enough willing opponents on Facebook to to satiate my bloodlust before it <laughs> abated. <laughs> and now I've calmed down a little bit. But. Yeah. So what, what would you say? What would you say that you see? Because I, I listed a number of things that are listed here is contributing mm. to the YRR movement. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you would throw out, just like other things that are associated with it? I mean, you mentioned Desiring God. Again, that's more Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's a massive influence Well, the on book this. Desiring God, yeah, which then sparked the website and the publication, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think like reading books by dead people, yeah. right? So like, so like, I when I go into a Christian bookstore, I don't really like that's it's not always true because sometimes I'll buy new books, right? Like Gentle and Lowly was a new book. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. This thing's coming out. You should read it. But even that was an exposition of what dead guys right. thought. Right. Right. And so like I generally don't care about what is at the top of the Christian bestsellers list. And when I'm looking for books, and I think most YRR guys, you're looking for stuff written by dead people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the uh, Puritan paperbacks, like yeah, that, Banner of Truth. That's and, a good shout, right? So Banner know. of Truth brings in, in this in the movement. Mm-hmm. Banner of Truth finds an audience, sure, and they bring back all of this stuff. Without the YRR, would we have Banner of Truth? Yeah, and how strong would the YRR be yeah. without the Banner of Truth I, bringing it on? It's, I think it's we, a, yeah, and I do think we have to remember too. I mean, I know most of our most of our listeners are going to be from Baptist circles, so like they're like, yeah, this relatively new thing, this new thing, this new thing. But like in like the more orthodox Presbyterian circles mm-hmm. and the like Dutch reform circles, like this stuff didn't really go away. Like it, it right? It was still it still existed and and perpetuated to some degree. It's just. Yeah, it's it just it blew it blew up into it, it spilled over into other areas because I don't want to act as though like nobody was a Calvinist till two thousand and five. <laughs> yeah, and, and I I think in part because um, when we when we did the church growth movement thing, we talked about the number of elements even in our own church. Although we wouldn't we wouldn't classify ourselves as participants or even proponents of the church growth movement. Right, right now, yeah, okay. And there, but this church definitely was involved in that, right? Well, there, there's there's so much of a, e- even if it's not full in, mm-hmm. there's so much dabbling and crossover, sure, sure, yeah, spilling over that yeah. I that I think it only takes it only takes about twenty to thirty years of that for it to become an identity because then all of a sudden you have 
an entire group of people that that's the only thing they know. Right, right. Right? So it, it doesn't take long for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this to be uh, a revisitation and a resurgence, it, it didn't have to take hundreds of years, mm-hmm. right? right, of of a lack of having it. It, mm-hmm. only, it only needs to take maybe even half a generation, right, right for that to become a thing. Um, and then we're, and then Wayne Grudem writes a systematic theology and everyone reads it and the YRR movement is thrust forward <laughs> even further. Uh, even though a lot of those guys now have right, kind of grown beyond, yeah, have grown yeah. beyond that, right? Yeah. But and so it's just, it's just fascinating. Um, it will be, the, the thing that I love about this conversation is this is us in the throes Sure. Right? Like, if you imagine Zwingli and Luther, I'm just going to put us on that level. Mm-hmm. If you imagine Zwingli, I, I don't know why you didn't think that was funny, unless you just assumed that we are on that level. <laughs> if you imagine Zwingli and Luther sitting down having these conversations, saying, this re- reformation that we're a part of, mm-hmm. what will be the outcome? Right. Right? We've now moved to a place, granted, it is not as defining as the reformation was Mm -hmm. but the movements and the events that are taking place Mm. right the emergent church the yrr we are on the tails of those things Mm -hmm. and we we may in our lifetime be able to chart some of the effects Mm -hmm. for better and worse Mm -hmm. um we might not it might it might stretch beyond us right whatever the next thing is after podcasting, we might have some people mm-hmm. sitting around talking about this is what truly came of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, we we still have some more discussions about like maybe more broadly talking about where the church is at, and maybe maybe ta- having a conversation next week about um, maybe some of the groups that we haven't paid a lot of attention to in mm-hmm. the twentieth century, like what are the Catholics up to, what's going on there, right? Yeah. So we, we'll have those conversations, and also kind of where we're look where we might you know. We'll do our kind of prophetic episode where we talk about what we think is coming. So the last two episodes of the year, the two remaining episodes, are going to be where we at Mm -hmm. and where do we think we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that you can can file that one away in an archive, (laughs) pull it back in 20 years and laugh at us. False prophets. Yeah. No, that'd be fun, actually. Yeah. yeah, So that's kind of, that's how we're going to wrap this thing up. And so appreciate your patience on this one. It's been a long one. Yeah. People like stories. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition Mm. of Canada Mm -hmm. and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time.